Psalm 25. So we'll have an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading. And then we'll read the answers together from our Lord's Day lesson, Lord's Day 26. Psalm 25, hear from God's holy word as it is read to us. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope is in you. Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Amen. In Titus chapter 3 for our New Testament reading. Titus chapter 3, the first eight verses of that chapter. Titus 3, verses 1 through 8. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, And to show true humility toward all men. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. 
This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. And then, beginning with question 69 and through question 71, let's read the answers together with one voice, our catechism lesson for tonight. Christian, how does baptism remind you and assure you that Christ's one sacrifice on the cross is for you personally? In this way, Christ instituted this outward washing and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and his spirit wash away my soul's impurity. In other words, all my sins. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means that God, by grace, has forgiven my sins because of Christ's blood poured out for me in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with Christ's spirit means that the Holy Spirit has renewed me and set me apart to be a member of Christ so that more and more I become dead to sin and increasingly live a holy and blameless life. And the next page is one more question. Where does Christ promise that we are washed with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism, where he says, Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. This promise is repeated when Scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. Let us bow for prayer before the sermon. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless this time as we look to your word. We pray in these moments as well that you would be with the Debach family in their time of grief this week. We pray that they would learn of, of being sorrowful yet rejoicing. And that uh, through the care and love of those around them, uh, they might be lifted up. We do pray also for our brother Ben DeYoung uh, for his procedure tomorrow. And we pray that all would go well. And we know that he has other surgeries upcoming. We pray for all of his recovery, uh, that you would be with him and, uh, and the family as well. Think of our brother Roger Bonema and the, that you would be with him and his ongoing treatments. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we look to Psalm 25 and then uh, Titus chapter 3 to consider 
what baptism signifies and the ongoing significance of baptism uh, in our lives. One of the things that strikes you about Psalm 25 is, is that you really come away with at least three central truths about what God does with his people. He forgives them, he teaches them, and he leads them. He forgives them of their sins. He washes them clean. He teaches them the way that they should go. And then he becomes that strength that empowers them in walking on that path of righteousness. So we read in Psalm 25, uh, verses 6 and 7, about that mercy. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me, for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. The psalmist knows that if the Lord would regard sin, if he would deal with him according to sins, he would have no chance of standing before God. And yet he calls upon him to show him mercy and loving kindness. And that's not where it ends, right? There's the washing, there's the cleansing of sin, but then there's instruction and leading as well. Verse 4, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. There's a life that we're still to live. There's a life that we're called to live. And, and as biblical Christians, we know that this is all part of what Paul calls standing in grace. Because of Christ, we stand in grace. In other words, that position that we have before God is something that will not be taken away for those who truly believe in Jesus Christ. Psalm 25 has other verses that speak of this. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He graciously teaches us, as we sang this morning, graciously teaches us the way that we should go. And then he leads us. He becomes the strength, the power that we need in order to walk uh, in holiness. Verse 5, lead me in your truth. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and testimonies. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should go. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. Who are the ones who receive these blessings? The washing the teaching, and the leading. It's the humble and the faithful. It's those who look to God for their salvation. It's those who trust in him and his grace. Oh my God, in you I trust, verse two. Verse nine, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Verse 15, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. What does it mean to have faith in God, as Titus 3 says. It means to lean on him. It means to not trust in yourself. It means to trust in the promises that he gives to us in his word. Psalm 25 gives us a bit of an orientation uh, towards that life of God. That's what he does. He does more things, but he does at least those three things. He cleanses us of our sin. He teaches us about the life he wants us to live, and he leads us in that life. Baptism as a sacrament of the church teaches us uh, all of those things and makes us to know about this, this lifelong, ongoing blessing and washing that we are given in the gospel. 
So we consider, then we'll most of the rest of the time be interacting with Titus 3 and other scriptures. But here's the first main truth tonight as we think about these words from the scriptures and from our catechism. First, baptism is a sign and a seal of the gospel for our, our assurance. Baptism is a sign and a seal of the gospel for our assurance. First, it is a sign. It is a sign. What does baptism mean? Uh, or what does it mean that baptism is a sign? Well, what does a sign do? It communicates something. It tells you something. So we're being told something in baptism. And what we are being told is the gospel. It's the gospel being made visible. So here are three things that we see signified in the sacrament of baptism, which is a, a, a washing rite, right? There's a, there's a cleansing. We read in, in Titus chapter 3, it doesn't come through in the NIV translation, but other translations use that phrase, the washing of regeneration. In our translation, we have the washing of rebirth, very similar. It's the washing of regeneration. So in the first thing, in the gospel, or in baptism, it shows us that in the gospel, we are washed from all of our sins. It's a, it's a cleansing rite. And that's what we are assured of. That by Christ, by his work, by his blood, all of our sins are washed away. Every last one of them. The scriptures of the New Testament speak of being, or, uh, being sprinkled with the blood of of Christ and the altars in the temple would be sprinkled with blood as the priest carried out uh, their duties. In baptism, we're sprinkled, it's a picture of being sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. And Hebrews chapter 12 says this Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What does it mean that his blood speaks a better word? It means that what it accomplishes before God is perfect. Abel's blood pleased the Lord when he gave a sacrifice all the way back in Genesis. Jesus' blood pleases the Lord and it never stops doing so. It will always please him. It will always be good enough. It will always be good enough to forgive sin. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but... When we begin to doubt that God can forgive us, then we bring dishonor upon the work of our Savior. 1 Peter chapter 1 speaks of this being sprinkled with the blood of Christ as well. Peter speaks of the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. This is the foundational hope of the gospel. That our sins are forgiven. And baptism shows us that. It shows us that. When we see a baptism in the church, we are all to be reminded that because of Christ, all of our sins are forgiven. Secondly, it shows us that in Christ, we are new creatures. The washing gives way to something new. There's, there's something new that emerges on the other side of the washing. You go in, uh, you're one thing, you come out, you are something else. Romans 6 speaks of the uh, truth of the old nature and the new nature tied to baptism. And that's what the, uh, the gospel being preached through the sacrament is telling us. Romans 6, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The gospel is a proclamation that when regeneration, when rebirth happens, something new emerges, a new, a new thing, a new nature, and there will be new life because of that. The third thing, baptism is a sign that shows us that all in the church are made to share in the same gospel realities. All those who are truly united to Christ share something common, and that is Christ's blood, that's the work of Christ's blood, and the gift of Christ's spirit. So it's it's an extremely unifying thing, isn't it? To be reminded and to be taught That all of those who truly know Jesus Christ by faith and have been given this rebirth, this washing, the realities of this washing, they are made to share in the same gospel realities. There is one baptism. One of the the main frustrations that um, certainly I have and many people have in today's uh, American church landscape is that so many churches are trying to seem different than all the other churches, trying to distinguish themselves to capitalize on some kind of market inefficiency, when really what we ought to be about doing is showing how the realities of Christ and the Spirit and the work of the sovereign God brings us into the realities of being the universal church. There's one baptism, and we're baptized into those things. And that makes us remember things about our connectedness, for instance, with believers in other lands and to pray uh, for the work of the gospel throughout the world. So it's a sign. It's a sign that in the gospel we're washed from our sins. It's a sign that through the gospel we become new creatures. It's a sign that we're all made to share in these same realities. It's also a seal. So it's a sign. It shows us something about baptism. It's also a seal. What is a seal? A seal is a a confirmation. A seal confirms something as true. And we talk about sacraments being seals. One of the best, most helpful ways to think about that is the fact that we observe it and take it in and feel it with our senses. We see the water of baptism. We taste the bread and the cup as we come to the Lord's Supper. And it's God's way of saying, here is an assurance that My gospel and my salvation for you is true. You can count on it. You can take it to the bank. As surely as you see the water. As surely as you taste the bread and taste the cup. You can know uh, that all of my promises to you are true. So sign and seal work together. Sign teaches us what the gospel is about. What the gospel says. The seal... And here we speak of the seal of baptism. The seal of baptism works together with the sign so that we can be assured that it's true. So what does that tell us about baptism? It tells us that it's for our assurance. It's for our assurance. Our souls are to be encouraged through baptism as we learn about both the sign and the seal. As we are reminded of the truth of the gospel, as we are, and we are encouraged as we are reminded that the cleansing of our souls from sin is as real as the water that we see. Here's a, 
a simple illustration, and this will probably certainly break down if you push it too far, but in the winter months, we are constantly fighting illnesses, sicknesses, flus, colds, fevers, and the like. I know a lot of us have been in the trenches in that in recent months. And we've been told, it seems like it sort of came about in the last 10, 15 years or so, but really, we really stress the washing of the hands, or you really want to wash your hands several times a day in order to fight off germs. And so this, isn't, this doesn't work 100% of the time, but it's a good practice to do and a good thing to keep yourself, uh, think about what you're doing to try to keep yourself healthy. And so what do you do throughout the day? Maybe sometimes you worry about, oh, are there some germs that I'm contracting or, or what's going on? Am I going to get sick? And you can remind yourself, well, I've been diligent and faithful in washing my hands. It creates confidence. Now, baptism is a one-time washing, right? It, it should only happen once in our lives. But when we come up against worries, when we come up against doubts, when we come up against fears, when we come up against thoughts that uh, God's not going to forgive that sin, what are the things that we should do? We, we should call to mind the fact that we are baptized Christians. And what does baptism say? The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. The blood of Jesus Christ is enough. And because of his blood, I am washed. Martin Luther was uh, famous for this, uh, of just the, the concentration on his baptism. When accusations would be thrown his way, when he himself would be assailed with doubts and fears within his own heart, he would preach to himself, I am baptized. I have been baptized. God's name has been placed upon me that has been confirmed uh, throughout my own understanding of the gospel and the word of God. Therefore, I can be confident. And so baptism is given to us for that reason, for our assurance. And when we do not use the blessing of baptism, and to that I would say we are to use it all our lives. It's a lifelong endeavor of learning about our baptism, of reflecting upon it and improving upon it. When we do not go to these truths to remind ourselves about the meaning of baptism and the significance of baptism, we are not using what God has given to us. He says here, use, use this for your assurance. Remind yourself that you are baptized. Remind yourself that the waters of baptism have come upon you. They have touched you. That is the truth of the gospel that you can take to your own heart. So, uh, Reformed divines and certainly the, the, those who wrote the Westminster Confession and Catechism s- spoke of this, uh, uh, this practice of improving our baptism. We must use the truths of baptism for our lifelong growth. So you read in the Westminster Larger Catechism just a couple of ideas of what you can do to improve your baptism. We are to seriously consider its meaning. So you, so you learn, tonight we're learning about what does it mean that we're washed, that we're made new, that we're united. We are to seriously consider its meaning. That's how we improve our baptism. We are to ponder the privileges and the blessings of baptism, to ponder it, to take it to our mind and heart. We are to consider our own vow to the Lord. Uh, Those who have confirmed that vow to God and say, I take that promise and I take hold of that promise 
And you've stood up in the church and said that. We are to be humbled by our defilement of sin. The the majesty of the glory of what Jesus has done. We are humbled when we consider our ongoing struggle with sin. We are to seek the assurance of God's pardon. To know that we are forgiven. We are to draw spiritual strength from the death and resurrection of Christ. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. We are to remind ourselves of our call to holiness and what God has called us to be. See, all of these things are things that we can do to improve our baptism. It's a lifelong thing. It places us in the service of the Lord. We are engaged to be the Lord's upon baptism. And we are to learn of these blessings and reflect on them uh, each day. So baptism is a sign and seal for our assurance. And then uh, secondly, baptism is a sign of total washing and renewal. Baptism is a sign of total washing and renewal. Total washing. So I want to think of three benefits just as we close tonight. There are three benefits that the total washing of baptism reminds us of. The first is justification. The second is sanctification. And the last is glorification. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. So first, the first benefit of being washed by Jesus' blood and spirit is to be justified in God's sight. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, we read in Titus 3, he saved us. Not because of anything we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Christ, so that having been justified by his grace, we become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. To be justified, it's very simple. Two aspects of it. Your sins are forgiven and you are declared righteous. All of your sins are thrown into the heart of the sea and you are given the positive righteousness of Christ according to the life that he lived. When we believe and we trust in Jesus and his work, God takes that righteousness, he imputes it to us so that when he looks upon us, he sees the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of his son and he says, not guilty, worthy of heaven, worthy of eternal life. And uh, that is the greatest blessing that any of us could experience in this life. God saves us. We do not save ourselves. We are justified by his grace, unmerited favor, that which we did not deserve. This, is the, this creates the humility, of course, of uh, being someone who walks around knowing that you are a sinner and yet given eternal life. There's a pastor in Florida, Joel Sonnenberg, and uh, also a traveling motivational speaker. I saw him at a, a youth convention when I was uh, younger in high school. When he was very, very young, when he was still just a, a baby, he was very extremely severely burned uh, in an automobile accident, and his appearance completely changed. He was a uh, uh, he said he got used to people seeing him and being shocked at his appearance. And he does have a very, very abnormal appearance. When he was in his early 20s, they, they had never found the truck driver who had caused this accident. And when he was in his early 20s, they finally found him. He had escaped to Canada. 
somehow things had happened where they, they had realized that this was the driver who had never been, um, it certainly was his fault and there were other problems with what he was doing while he was driving as well. And so anyways, it comes to being in a courtroom and finally he's seeing this man for really the first time who had done this and changed his life, really ruined his life. And very famously, what transpired caused really most of the courtroom to to break down and and start weeping. The judge himself had to leave, couldn't contain his own tears. But this young man, Joel Sonnenberg, looked at this truck driver and he said, I want you to look at me. And the truck driver wouldn't. He's filled with shame. His head was down, refused to look at him. And he said, you ruined my life. You ruined it. But I am a Christian. And I believe in Jesus Christ. And because of what he has done for me, I want you to know that I'm willing to forgive you. I'm willing to forgive you. Now let me ask you, what worldview, what truth, what life-changing reality other than the gospel could ever empower someone to say something like that? In Islam, you will never hear that your sins are forgiven. In Buddhism, you will never hear that your sins are forgiven. In other faiths in the world, you will never hear that your sins have been dealt with and God has thrown them into the heart of the sea. If we do not reflect on that truth that we find in our baptism, we're going to leave all kinds of spiritual blessings by the wayside. Be forgiven. To have your shame and your guilt thrown into the heart of the sea. What a blessing. That is a blessing that, that we must use and reflect on. But a second benefit, not just that we are justified, but also that we are sanctified. Baptism shows a total washing. The blessings of living the Christian life don't just stop there. We read uh, that also to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that we may more and more die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. As Reformed Christians, we, we, we champion the mantra grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And that that glorious doctrine of justification, which in so many ways is the article on which the church stands or falls. But we need to be careful to not forget the ongoing blessing of being engaged to be the Lord's, of being made his in the truths of the gospel. Reformed theologian John Gerstner was famous for saying, you are saved by faith alone, but you are saved by a faith that is never alone. And baptism shows that the washing also means that God, by his spirit, by his power, more and more makes you to be holy like his son. He conforms you to the image of his son. And as Paul's reflecting on this in Titus chapter 3, isn't it interesting, he says, we ourselves were once foolish, and he points back to all of the sins that used to define them. We were disobedient, we were led astray, we were slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, but, and the implication there of but now things are different. And these days we have a lot of people who are saying, you know, people, people never change or human beings are never going to change these kinds of patterns of behavior. They're sort of locked in all of those things. What an unbiblical way to think. Because of the gospel, because of the spirit, God is changing us and he's bringing about a fuller and a more complete 
obedience. Titus 3 gives us the picture of being heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What does it mean to be an heir? It means to be guaranteed that you will one day take hold of something, but you are not yet, you are not yet holding all of those realities. And someone might be an heir to, a, to an enormous estate, but they don't have it all in their hand or in their bank account yet. But it's guaranteed, and that's what we have. Being heirs of the hope of eternal life, justification can never be taken away. Your standing before God can never be taken away. And yet God ordains that we would walk down the path of good works so that when we take possession of eternal life, God can look at us and say, look what I have done. Now, of course, it's imperfect. And sometimes, certainly as Reformed Christians, we can get uncomfortable because when we're talking about sanctification, we're talking about something that differs in degrees. None of us are sanctified exactly to the same level. And it's not as objective as justification. But we know as we go to the scriptures that this is what God does for us. Paul's own perspective, we think about in Philippians chapter 3, what did did he do? He said, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He presses on uh, because to make it his own, to make these realities his own, because Christ has made him his own. We spoke of when we talked about that passage, running the race as we're already resting in the grip of our Savior. And so works take on this extremely important role in the life of a Christian. And that's why Paul says you are to call your people to be zealous for good works because God has ordained in his sovereign grace. He has given us good works that he has ordained for us to do, Ephesians 2.10. And we are to be zealous for them because God has said you are justified, you are cleansed, you are made new, I am making you new and the path that I want you to walk your attainment of eternal life is by good works is it guaranteed you bet it is is it given us to to us by grace you bet it is is it by the power of God of course but keeping that perspective is what makes us zealous for good works that we would never say it doesn't matter how I live it doesn't my obedience unto God it, it, it doesn't matter because I'm saved by grace that's the mentality that Paul describes in Romans chapter 6 and so we need to Uh, keep ourselves from that and that's why in Titus chapter 3 Paul says insist on these things so that God's people might be zealous for good works and then finally uh, glorification glorification baptism shows us that our sins have been forgiven we've been justified baptism shows us that we're being sanctified baptism shows us and teaches us that one day we will be glorified the curse will be gone sin will be gone Our sin nature will be gone. We will dwell perfectly with God. These are the things that we are to reflect on day by day to know and understand the gracious work of God in salvation, that we may know him more, that we may love him more, that we may serve him uh, more and more each and every day as he does it in us by his power. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. I pray that you'd be glorified in our lives as we consider all of these things and give you all of the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.